Hi everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Risk with Dr. Naveen Agarwal, where each week we talk about a topic related to risk management of medical devices. I'm your host, Naveen Agarwal, principal and founder at Achieve, where my personal mission is to help you achieve success in risk management. In this episode, I'm joined by Roger Hill, who is a mechanical engineer by training, and he has over 30 years of industry experience designing, building, and manufacturing medical devices. So he has seen it all and has real-world experience to share with us as an engineer. We are focusing on the topic of FMEAs, their advantages and challenges they present when overused for the purpose of risk analysis from the safety perspective. I hope you will really like this conversation because we share a lot of best practices. This was a topic of discussion in our recent LinkedIn live audio event, and you are about to hear a recording of our conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome again, everybody. I'm very happy, very excited to introduce Roger to you today. Roger and I connected, um, I would say, a, a month ago or so over LinkedIn and had a few conversations. What amazes me about Roger's uh, experience is that he has hands-on product development and manufacturing experience over 30 years. So he had seen he has seen it all. He has experienced the good things, the bad things, the challenging things. Uh, he has uh, developed great insights. So we're going to talk about today um, about his experience. But first, Roger, I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. <clears throat> thank you for having me. Great, Roger. So uh, why don't we get started by uh, just you know having you share your personal story a little bit with our audience? You know your career trajectory the high points, the low points, you know, what has been some of the key insights for you uh, so that we can get to know you a little bit better. All right. I uh, got out of school in the uh, 80s and spent the first 10 years of my career in the defense industry uh, as a mechanical engineer uh, working on custom test equipment and vision systems. And out uh, into that career slowed down because, uh, frankly, Russia fell apart mm -hmm. and uh, uh, all the mechanical engineers were looking for jobs. And I, I uh, got hired by a company called uh, McGaw, worked on infusion pumps. And it was really had no idea about medical devices at all. And they they took a chance on me uh, not being a medical device, but they liked the regulation in my background, of course, defense work being regulated, and hired me in there to uh, become a mechanical engineer on pumping uh, mechanisms. And in, this was a small company, and unlike my larger employer, really let me see end-to-end uh, -end mm -hmm. of what was going on, because we were the design engineers, we were also the manufacturing engineers. <laughs> so uh, a, a lot of great experience at that company. Uh, when that one got taken over by a German company and the, all the design work slowed down, I went over to uh, a company that was doing implantable drug pumps. Uh, they wanted that drug pump experience. Even though that product uh, never took off, I 
they, they decided the neuromodulation part of the business was a uh, better business for the company. I worked on leads, uh, stimulation leads uh, over there in R&D. And then I got a, a chance to move into manufacturing engineering. Now that was, uh, I, I frankly, I took it because I liked the company. I liked the people. And uh, I thought I was really gonna get into the design of manufacturing equipment or being over the people who were designing manufacturing equipment. Turned out to be uh, quite different. And about that time, we got into a warning letter situation. And I will say that's where the real education of manufacturing engineering uh, began. And it took a while to work our way out of that, but you can't help but to learn in that kind of a situation. The company had many high-powered consultants come in, getting us ready for each visit from the FDA. Of course, you had the FDA themselves. And we got some, some new managers in that had extensive experience with warning letter remediation. But my takeaway was Again, how the I'm gonna I'm gonna describe it as how the quality system is supposed to work and how it all hooks together. Which, frankly, I didn't have much of an appreciation uh, before that. In the design arena, I and I consider myself more of a design engineer than a manufacturing engineer. I love that part of it, but uh, like a lot of design engineers, you maybe don't appreciate the other parts of the business or those that have to live with your design afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was in that manufacturing role for, for quite a while and considered myself uh, pretty, pretty knowledgeable about how that part of the system works, how it is supposed to work, all the quality system, all the processes and procedures. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I left that company and now I'm, I'm with a very small orthopedics company formed by people I worked with way back in the 90s. <laughs> Again, So uh, it was an opportunity to work with with people here at the end of my career in a, in a job where I really liked the people and back to a very, very small company environment. And we're pretty lucky. We, we have very few people, but all of them have a, a lot of experience. So we're able to do things smoothly without a lot of, uh, a lot of systems because we all have lots and lots of experience. Anyway, it's a great place to work. That's really awesome, Roger. So it uh, looks like you, got yourself into the middle of a burning fire in, when you have all these warning letters, you learned kind of the hard way. And I believe many in the audience can probably relate to that sort of experience. Uh, guys, please give a thumbs up or show your reaction. Uh, you can use these react buttons in your um, panel. And those of you who are just joining, uh, welcome again. I'm uh, speaking to Roger Hill today who has enormous experience in the medical device industry as an engineer. Uh, so he, I like to like talk to people like Roger a long time, lot of time because I feel they have lived the problems and they have found solutions that work. So Roger, in this context, uh, I know we want to talk about FMEA. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there. But through, through your, I know everybody wants to get there, right? Everybody wants to learn how FMEAs work and where the challenges are. I get this question all the time when I talk to people. So we'll get there. But what I'm curious to learn from you is that throughout all these years, like help me understand the, the kind of perspective of an engineer working in R&D and manufacturing. Help me understand their view in a highly regulated industry. 
what kind of day-to-day challenges that they face in addition to building and designing a product that will be safe and effective? You mean uh, problems specifically revolving around the FMEA? Anything, anything like okay. what, what is there? What is there like world like? Uh, how do they go about? Of course, they are trying to build a safe and effective product. At the end of the day, they're doing a lot of testing, trial and error, you know, first principles, whatnot, right? I'm an engineer by training. I've lived that. But in a regulated environment, I feel personally, and I want to hear from you uh, what your experience is, we have to think about more than just engineering. And how does that look like to an engineer? Yes. <clears throat> so I would say that we do need to look at more than just the fun things. And in my opinion, the, the pressures of the business to hurry up and execute the program and the bigger the company, maybe the more of these pressures, we do concentrate. Engineers mostly concentrate on getting to that next milestone and not not having the ability to step back and, and see the bigger p- picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the, the number one thing, the pressure to go, 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 mm-hmm. and not take the time and reflect on, on what we're doing here and maybe the best way to solve uh, any of the innumerable issues that come up during design and development. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing that comes to my mind mm-hmm. is just is just the pressure to go fast as a, and, and not be thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Neat, neat. And that puts a lot of pressure, right? I mean, we have to be right. We can't, yes. we can't make too many mistakes and we have to meet the deadline. So there is an element of what I'm hearing from you, good project management. We need that. Yes. Perfect. Well, and, and everybody who works on the design team, they they think they're doing all the risk assessment and all of that, making the best decision in their own mind. Mm-hmm. So you, they think they're doing the best that they can do, and and they may be, but but sometimes that's just subject to that person's experience. Uh, it's not always the case. Got you. Got you. Yeah. And I think that's where my personal feeling is that risk management, good risk management practices, can help because. We can be thoughtful, we can plan, and we can also execute. So in this context, I know we use FMEAs, and I know you have done so many FMEAs in your career. Um, Tell us a little bit more about your experience with FMEAs. I can remember doing my first ones in the 90s, and I'll say that, and I hopefully, (laughs) this is because there wasn't so much industry training, then there was a few books and techniques, but it was mass confusion. Uh, the biggest issue being uh, some team members wanting to uh, peel that onion down and go way too deep mm-hmm. into some of the design issues. Um, others where every situation, I shouldn't say situation, so let's ca- talk about failure modes and thinking about what could possibly happen. <clears throat> it always turned into discussions about the worst case would happen. Mm. Uh, somebody I heard made the expression that a long time ago about uh, every every potential thing turned into, well, but, but if this could happen, you, the poor patient in the wheelchair could drive himself off the edge mm-hmm. of the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. So it was unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were taking all of the, the sequence of events and thinking, well, our job is to say they all will happen and it will always end in disaster. Got you. So I think that was uh, something that happened all the time. The Back in those days, you had the, the detection column mm-hmm. was typically used. 
And that went into all kinds of confusion. Did that mean detection by the design team, detection by the user? Uh, you know, what was it, the detection? And people had their own opinions of what that was and what that was, should be. And again, lots and lots of discussions. So uh, even these days, it seems like every time there's a, a team meeting for a rather complicated project on FMEA, the first hour is always just orienting people's thoughts correctly <clears throat> and then to uh, get into the real work. And by the time two or three hours go by, people are, are numb yeah. to the process and can't wait for it to be over. Yes. And so that's probably, that's why it sometimes takes months to work through these things. And then I'm even talking about the first pass through them. Oh, As the design evolves, we should be, doing these uh, over and over again. And, and it's been my experience that people are less and less willing uh, to participate. Gotcha. You know, they don't show up, all, all of that. So I think with training, some of that has gotten better these days. So very painful experience in general. Yes. So over, yes. over the years, I, 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 I think you mentioned that early on, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, knowledge or information about it. And over time, I hope it improved. Yes. Uh, have you seen some improvements in the way we practice um, doing an FMEA over the years? So I've definitely seen improvement in the information that's available gotcha. out in the world. I can't say I've seen a whole lot of improvement in team members. So I, my personal opinion that there's, is that uh, the design team should go through formal FMEA training. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, uh, define what you want it for. Are you, are you going to start with the product and product failures and stick to that and and not get into, not try to combine it with the things which maybe should be over in a hazard analysis. Or if you want to do it in the FMEA, I, I have worked on companies where would do a user FMEA, which has kind of got that same aspect of a hazard analysis where now it's more about the user interacting with the device and not not with direct failure modes uh, in the device. Got you. So what I'm hearing so, what I'm hearing you say is that we need good training that everybody knows how to do it, what it is, but we also need good planning, right? The good planning yes. will tell us what the objectives are, what is a what is a boundary, and how do we structure it? Because we seem to think that one FMEA for design, one FMEA for manufacturing maybe one FMEA for software, can help us do it all. And sometimes it may not be possible because we work with complicated systems, right? Correct. Absolutely. So a lot of planning. I think some planning, before we jump into doing an FMEA, what I'm hearing you say is some planning is useful. And I believe that's what the FMEA standard tells us. Yes. It tells us to plan. Okay. Yes. So um, you mentioned that... Um, in the early part of your discussion today that, you know, whatever could go wrong, we would imagine it, and then we would build all these sequence of events and we'll have a lot of speculation. Uh, what, what has been your experience in terms of how to manage that conversation? Uh, to me, uh, my experience has been, it's been part of these, these uh, ongoing discussions trying to talk some team members off of the edge and that disaster is not always going to happen. But they, in my experience, they feel compelled 
to be that advocate for the worst case that the user can be. And it just lots of wasted energy mm -hmm. in, in trying to uh, trying to, to steer the FMEA from saying everything is going to have horrible consequences and we need more and more and more controls mm -hmm. uh, into it. And by consequences, if I understand you correctly, you are talking about the consequence of those sequence of events that happen after maybe a yes. failure could occur. Exactly. Right. We have to talk about consequences to the product as a result of failure modes. But when we start to work on sequence of events in the failure mode effect analysis, we get into a little bit of a murky situation. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, it is very consistent with my, my experience as well. I've seen people try to force fit the FMEA for multiple uh, deliverables as part of their risk management activities. And you mentioned the topic of hazard analysis, which is personally kind of very uh, dear to me. And, you know, I talk about that in my conversations with people is that we should try to separate the two. So absolutely. So, guys, I think we are at a very good point here. Uh, we are at a good point where we have learned a little bit about Roger. We have learned about his experience with FMEA, some of the challenges. Uh, so I want to open up uh, the floor for discussion from you. And uh, all you have to do is just raise your hand. And the way to do that is to find that tiny circle on your profile picture and uh, request to be invited to our virtual stage here. And uh, please go ahead and do that because uh, uh, it takes me a little while to kind of uh, uh, go through that, accept, go through that process and invite you on this stage. So if you have something in mind to share, can be a question, can be your personal experience, maybe insight or a best practice that you have learned. Uh, we want to encourage that participation from you. So please don't hold back. That is the whole purpose of our discussion today. Uh, so Roger, while we wait for uh, folks to join us, uh, let's, let's say a little bit more about some of the best practices that you would again recommend to people as we try to manage uh, the work on the FMEA. So I think the, the, the training on the FMEA and most specifically the, the something that I learned along the way that I, that I like is once you get to the failure mode, <clears throat> you don't try to invent all the sequence of events afterwards. Mm -hmm. You think real directly about what's going to happen and stop the documentation there. Mm -hmm. But that should also have enough information that the people ranking the, the consequences, the weighting number, whatever that is, <clears throat> they can do it at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I hope that's that's coming out clearly. And it's I'm, I'm saying, yeah, just the, the next step, the evident fact after the failure and stop it there. But hopefully that's enough that people can, can weight the, the effect of that. And what you're saying is that the second half of the exercise can happen separately, but the yes. first half is at the product level. Great, great. So, Junaid, you have joined us. Please unmute your mic and um, share what you have in mind. Yeah. Thank you, Navin. Uh, I just want to ask a very basic question to Roger. Maybe uh, what is the difference between the traditional FMEA, I mean, non-medical device FMEA and the medical device FMEA? Because you, you see non-medical device FMEA, we have a columns of uh, severity, occurrence, and detection. Whereas in medical device, we have uh, 
risk defined as a product of severity and the p1 and p2 catch you uh, so this is just yeah wonderful this question i just want to i think this is a this is a great question thank you for bringing it up roger you want to take that on okay so when i think of detection uh, right away i'm going to say the two ways i've seen uh, of dealing with it does this mean will the potential problem be detected before the design is complete and released to the marketplace or is this the kind of kind of detection where you have an, a device which can interact with the patient and by detection you mean if this goes wrong with the product <clears throat> the patient will be notified by it because the device itself will self detect and warn mm-hmm. uh, about that so th- that's a very uh, confusing factor there and which was why i think the the train of thought now is to when we're talking about product design take detection out of it so we're only talking about uh occurrence and severity got you and and not deal with that or deal with it over in the how we're going to fix the issue mm-hmm. and janet you mentioned that i i love the way you put it by the way i i so love it medical fmea and non-medical device FMA, right? Uh, and you, re- this statement actually represents what is happening in the industry right now. FMEA is FMEA, right? But we are using it for the purpose of risk analysis in the medical device industry, putting P1 and P2 out there. I think that was your original question. And what I would say to that, that is a uh, uh, very, very interesting topic, um, and we can go a lot deeper into this. I would just say use an FMEA for the purpose of FMEA which is improving the reliability of your product, addressing potential failure modes, and not necessarily addressing hazards, hazardous situations, and harms. That is what you do in a hazard analysis. So uh, I'm going to have to keep moving because I have now Andy waiting. Andy, go ahead and unmute yourself and please share what you have in mind. Uh, uh, Hello, all. Thanks for having me on again, Naveen. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm interested. uh, Roger, you spoke about hazard analysis and FMEA. I'm very keen on using the right technique for the right problem. I don't work in medical devices. That's, uh, I think, the one area of functional safety I've I've not worked in. Um, I'm working in automotive systems at the moment. Um, I've experience with hazard analysis and risk assessments and FMEA. And uh, for me, they're different tools for slightly different purposes, uh, ultimately the same aim, of course. Uh, And I'm just wondering what... um, Kind of what advice can you give on the right technique for the right problem and what techniques um, you would recommend over the, uh, I suppose, the suite of um, functional safety activities? Okay, Andy, I'm certainly no expert in this field. I've, As I say, I've become to appreciate it more and more in my career. But in my mind, if, it's, if our focus is <clears throat> product failures, uh, the design itself, the product itself, FMEA is the choice. If we're talking about situations and events, at least as a a first pass around the device, that's maybe that preliminary hazard analysis. But as a design evolves, you have, of course, different ways that design can fail. But there also may be, to my mind at least, uh, different hazards that maybe combinations of failures, which maybe show up more in a hazard analysis by the team who's continually out there uh, rethinking about this, that maybe the hazard analysis is a better vehicle for 
for that type of situation, two failure modes that created a situation that you won't see over an FMEA. Yeah, and FMEA is a, is a single failure mode, single fault type of an analysis. Maybe use fault tree, maybe use event tree. And you combine all these techniques to build the linkage between hazards, hazardous situations, and harm. So I think the message here, guys, is let's not use just one tool for every job out there. Find the right tool for the right job, and that takes a little bit of uh, work and experience. So let's keep moving, guys. Kiran, you are next. Go ahead and please unmute. Thanks, Naveen. Uh, Roger, I was wondering, have you any advice uh, on what you can do to reduce the pressures of the they go faster, as you said at the beginning. <laughs> uh, educate your management, but easy to say, hard to do. Uh, <clears throat> so I, all, all you can do is, uh, is keep trying to convince management, your management, that it's, it's so much safer to go a little bit slower and avoid the problems, uh, because we all know those the further when the problems become identified further in the development, it's so much harder uh, to fix them. Mm -hmm. in, in several companies I've been in, I've tried to make part of the document change control process, trying to put one little flag on there was just admitting that this that we're making this change because of something we should have caught earlier in our design process. In other words, our development process had a mistake in it, and no company wanted to start tracking that, even though they knew it was going to be a big thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, you can just, I guess, just keep talking about it and, and try to emphasize it. And especially when some disasters happen, maybe you can uh, call your management aside and talk about, hey, if we have done things a little different or a little slower and try to get them on your side. I, I know that's, that is a tough, tough job mm -hmm. in my experience. I've been trying to do that a long time. Yeah, but all you can do is is try and educate and maybe point out some good articles about <laughs> some of this when that when it comes up. So, so what I'm hearing there, Roger, is that engineers engineers also have to become good communicators and good facilitators. Absolutely, right. And, and there's a little bit of a stakeholder management skill required, some project management skills required, and good engineers are always able to communicate the trade offs that they are making, and. Personally, I feel like if, if we are able to clearly communicate to the management the trade-offs and the options of different decisions, uh, then we can provide the context behind. Of course, we will be asked to do things faster and you know much quicker, cheaper, better, but it's always a trade-off decision. So thank you, Kieran, for that question. Let's keep moving. Chris, uh, welcome, and um, you're on. Please unmute and let us know what you have in mind. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, I think that I, I think it's great of this discussion, first of all. So thank you, uh, Dr. Agarwal, for putting on this discussion. I think, you know, my experience has been that uh, it's really, it's really, really important as a first step that you have a, a documented process for FMEA um, that's actually, in, in, you know, in a document and validated and well thought out. Um, the, the, the problem that I, I see a lot is that you have all of these FMEAs, one for electrical, one for hardware, one for software, and frequently they're not communicating with one another, nor are any of those FMEAs well communicating well with the hazard analysis. H how do you maintain this kind of ecosystem of FMEAs and make sure that they're communicating properly with the 
hazard analysis, which is a living uh, living being. Um, how, how do you approach that? Well, Chris, I think in your title, I'm seeing systems engineering. So yes. I'm actually guessing that you already have a lot of insights into this. And I've personally, having practiced this in the industry for more than 10 years, I feel like at least uh, in the experience I've had, we are not practicing systems engineering yet. And we are doing it in piecemeal. So um, actually, I'm hoping that we have more conversations around systems engineering approaches and system safety approaches uh, to help our colleagues really understand the full picture. Uh, does it make sense? Uh, I think that's where you're going, going with this conversation. Yeah, I, well, it, it's I've, I've seen the, the in, inability of, uh, uh, you know, systems engineers and the, the larger development team in general to be able to coordinate all of these different FMEAs and make sure that they are in interacting and communicating with the hazard analysis, making sure that um, you're not doing hazard analysis in your FMEA, nor are you doing yeah. FMEA in your hazard analysis, and just making sure that all the pieces are are working together, it's quite a challenge. And I was wondering if the, if um, Roger had any insight into that. Yeah, go ahead, Roger, if you want to share something. <laughs> okay. Well, this is, uh, yeah, something I've been thinking about uh, quite a lot. And one of the reasons I'm also dialing into Naveen's <laughs> website, Scott talks and discussions. So the, the uh, I'm going to say that this hazard or the hazard event uh, is, seems to be the, the, the point of connection between these two things. Now, I'm going to defer to Naveen mm-hmm. for a better explanation of this because I am uh, working this out in my own way uh, as well and, and want to uh, connect these two things. I, I think you're absolutely right, Christopher. Uh, they should uh, come to a, a connection point where you can go back and forth between these. Yeah. So uh, I, I won't go into too much detail on that, but I think, Roger, you hit the nail on the head. That's how I look at it is uh, uh, we, engineers like to think in terms of cause and effect all the time. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of information to build that cause and effect model. And sometimes we have to learn how to deal with pure association, maybe correlation. And the best we can do, I think, is figure out uh, some ha- one or more hazards that might be linked. And that's a connecting point between hazard analysis and FMEA, to me at least. And and certainly I remain open to uh, expanding my own learning. Uh, I've been, so I'm I'm not an expert in systems engineering. I've started reading up on it and very, very influenced by the body of work that exists in industries outside medical device industries. And I would hope that we have more conversations on this topic so, uh, and we can bring that best, those best practices in our industry. So, uh, guys, great conversation. And, of course, we always find ourselves in this situation that we have more to talk about than the time available. Uh, So I want to thank all of you. We will continue these conversations every week. uh, And I want to invite you to basically engage with me, connect with me, and let me know what's on your mind. Give us feedback. Some of the topics that came up, I can sense an interest in digging deeper in those topics. And we will pursue those in our future discussions. Uh, One quick point that I want to share with you is we will I will be making the recordings of these sessions available to you and they will be available in an article form. The recording will be attached to an article with a summary of key highlights. Uh, You are invited to join my newsletter and I can provide that link to you. In fact, if you go to my profile in the featured section of my profile, the first link is to that newsletter. If you sign up, you will be receiving this recording and notes from our previous sessions every week. 
so that will be the best way to stay in touch. And I should also tell you that you don't have to subscribe. The website will be open to everybody. Uh, it's just that you won't be alerted when uh, a new newsletter has been published. So take a look at that. That's really the best way to review what we have discussed in the past and uh, continue sharing your insights. With that, Roger, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Uh, I, I appreciate your time and your insights. I want to thank everybody in the audience. Please uh, share your reaction with us. I know a couple of thumbs up and a couple of uh, claps going on. I hope you are liking this. And um, I hope to see you again next week. Stay connected, stay sharing, uh, stay uh, connected and giving me feedback about what's on your mind. Guys, with that, have a good weekend ahead and I look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye.